My name is Jim Fleming, and this is Our Sunday School. Our Sunday School is part of Stewart Heights Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. To prepare for this lesson, please go to OurSundaySchool.com for a copy of today's handout. Now, let's get to this week's lesson. Well, good morning, and welcome to Our Sunday School. I'm glad you're able to join us this morning. If you got your Bibles, you'll need your entire Bible today, uh, almost from uh, Genesis all the way back to Mark. So uh, we plan to be in Mark chapter 11 today, but uh, if you got your Bibles, go ahead and grab that. If you haven't already gotten the handout from uh, OurSundaySchool.com, I would encourage you to go there and grab this morning's handout. Uh, it'll be very helpful for you, and I would encourage you to take a lot of notes this morning because we'll be referring back to some things that we talk about this morning uh, in later uh, weeks. So this will be a, a, a pivotal moment, uh, a pivotal day for a lot of different reasons, but uh, I would encourage you to, to be heavy on the note-taking today. All right, so if we get Mark chapter 11, uh, I would encourage you to... Uh, good morning, Barry. Uh, we're glad you're here, even though you're late. Uh, I would encourage you to be continually thinking about the question, you know, what is God doing in you through the portion of Mark that we have studied so far? Uh, it's a good question to regularly ask ourselves, and I, I find that uh, the answer is always new and changing for me, uh, but there are themes as we go through different portions of Mark's gospel. So let's greet some folks this morning. So let's see what we've got here. We've got uh, Julie and Caleb in the bedroom on the other side of the house. Uh, so the Millers are here, uh, the Arnolds, the McClures, the Barbers with the bad puns, yes. Uh, Julia Gregg, hey Julia, good morning. Uh, we've got, sorry, my, my mouse slid around on me there. Uh, the Ayers, uh, the Johnsons, the Velosens, the Landers, Miss Hopper, hey, good morning. Uh, and then Barry is running behind. Well, of course you are, Barry, that's okay. And then Nancy Miller from Oak Ridge. Wonderful. It's good to have you guys this morning with us. And uh, we'll be talking about several of our members this morning, uh, sharing some specific prayer requests. And I apologize, but the last couple of weeks I have not stopped and talked through the prayer request section of today's, of the uh, our Sunday school lesson. So we'll try to remember to do that this morning. I have relayed, uh, changed the layout of some of the things that I look at, and I have tried to change that again this morning so that I'm prompted to remember to do that. All right, so we've also got the Arnolds, the Clicks, the McGarveys in room 206. Well, good deal. And the Archers are with us. Fantastic. Good deal. I'm glad to have you guys this morning. Um, even though the, the sun is in a little bit different position this morning than it was last week, uh, still glad to have everybody here. So let's read through Mark chapter 11, and then we'll talk about, uh, we'll spend a few minutes talking about the structure of Mark and where we are and how we're going to be transitioning. Uh, we'll spend a couple of minutes talking about uh, entering into Jerusalem, and then we may get to some Old Testament portions uh, looking at Jesus as fulfilling messianic prophecies. So I'm excited about today's lesson. So you've got your Bibles. Let's go to Mark chapter 11. <clears throat> so Mark 11. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it, 
and we'll send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at the door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? And they told, Je they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. And they came to Jerusalem. And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look! The fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, Have faith in God. Truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against someone, so that your Father who also is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. And they came again to Jerusalem. And as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him and they said to him, By what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do to them? Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say, From heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe him? But shall we say, From man? They were afraid of the people, for they all held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. So a beautiful text here. I'm excited to jump in to Mark chapter 11. So as I mentioned uh, in the introduction, we're going to be looking at some structure of Mark. So uh, we get kind of haloed into Jesus' ministry in Mark. Uh, it's not the slow ease in that we see in Luke uh, in Matthew with the story of his birth. Uh, it's much more similar to John where we just jump in and Jesus is already an adult. Uh, so we've got a couple of things I want to check out today. So uh, several chapters, the early chapters in Mark's gospel, Jesus is traveling around Israel He's teaching, he's healing, he's rebuking Pharisees, he's casting out demons, he's fulfilling all sorts of messianic prophecies. But there are Old Testament prophecies 
And a prophecy is just something, a statement from a prophet about something that's going to happen in the future. You consider it a future indicative, right? But there are all kinds of prophecies related to the last few days of the Messiah's life and what the Messiah is specifically going to do in Jerusalem. So we, we see these snippets in the early chapters of Mark uh, talking about Jerusalem. And then when we get to 7, 8, 9, we see that Jesus turns his face toward Jerusalem and, and we head to Jerusalem. And in chapter 10, we're, we're heading to Jerusalem. And then in chapter 11, we read, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem. And uh, just to show you a map real quick. So Jerusalem is toward the uh, southern part of this map, uh, just to the west of the Dead Sea. Uh, you'll notice that Bethany is just to the east of Jerusalem. Uh, we don't actually see Bethphage anywhere on the map. It's another city that's mentioned in early in uh, Mark 11. Uh, but the... the context of Mark chapter 11 just tells us that, you know, we're, we're very, very close to Bethany and Jerusalem here. So just a, a quick look at the layout of the land. Uh, but geographically, Jerusalem is a higher elevation than the land around it. So as you go to Jerusalem, many times you'll see in the New Testament, you go up to Jerusalem. And it, it's not just a... Um, it's not a figure of speech. It's a literal ascension to a place of higher elevation. So you would go up to Jerusalem. And one of the things that would happen as you went up to Jerusalem, because a good Jew, an observant Jew at this time, would have uh, gone to Jerusalem uh, at least once, probably three times a year. I'm checking my notes here for just a second. So there have been Passover, uh, that's uh, Pesach, uh, Shavuot, as the, the weeks are Pentecost, and then Sukkot, uh, this is the Feast of Tabernacles. So these three feast days that you would have made a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And the interesting thing is that the Old Testament doesn't leave the Jewish people empty-handed or empty-mouthed when they travel. Uh, and specifically, there were psalms that were written for the ascent to Jerusalem. Now, there's debates among scholars as to whether or not you're supposed to read these uh, as you step up the steps to the temple or as you ascend into the higher elevation of Jerusalem itself. But at the time Jesus lived, the, the habit, the practice was that you sang these psalms of ascent uh, as you went up to Jerusalem. So you'd be several miles away and then the singing would begin. Uh, and so these would be songs that Jesus sang with his disciples. And I don't, I don't know if you've ever stopped and considered Jesus singing before, but observant Jews sang. And what they sang was from their songbook. And their songbook was what we call the book of Psalms. So let's flip over to Psalm uh, 120, and we'll get a flavor for what these Psalms of Ascent were about because the Psalms of Ascent go from Psalm 120 all the way to Psalm 134. So now Psalm 120 is uh, strategically placed after Psalm 119. Uh, and if you know what Psalm what that was a math joke, by the way, there'll be more today. Uh, but if you know what Psalm 119 was about, it's about the law. It's about God's word. And it is a beautiful beautiful psalm with uh, 22 different parts 
uh, eight verses in each part, uh, corresponding to the 22 Hebrew letters in the uh, alphabet. Uh, so the psalmist would write uh, a stanza, if you will, eight, eight verses together, each one of those lines beginning with a specific, ver a specific letter of the Hebrew uh, language. So the psalmist has just finished exploring the depths and the beauty and the majesty and the glory of God's word. And then what do we do? We transition immediately into Psalm 120, which is, all right, we're, we're heading to Jerusalem. We're either heading to Jerusalem or we're in Jerusalem performing acts commanded by God's word. So the, one of the beautiful things about, again, about the Old Testament is it, it didn't leave the Jews empty-handed. Uh, and we'll talk about some other things that the Jews believed and where they kind of documented and got those beliefs from. Uh, but I wanted, to, I wanted to show you a couple of the Psalms of Ascent. So um, Psalm 120 starts, uh, In my distress I called to the Lord, and he answered me, Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given to you? What shall uh, more be done to you, you deceitful tongue? A warrior's sharp arrows with glowing coals of the broom tree. Woe to me that I sojourn in Meshach, that I dwell among the, te the tents of Kedar. Too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. So this is almost a, a confessional about sin before you would get into Jerusalem. Uh, and then Psalm 121, probably one of the most well-known psalms uh, for several different reasons. Uh, the, the Jews actually today will often print off a copy of or write out a copy of Psalm 121 and put it in the room where a woman is going to give birth. Uh, and it is a prayer for an easy delivery. So let's let's look at read through Psalm 121, uh, a song of the sense. Oh, by the way, um, those headers are part of the Bible. Like it's not a, um, if you look in the, the ESV, it says, my help comes from the Lord. That's the, that the, the ESV's header. And then in all caps, it says a song of ascents. A song of ascents, those, those uh, inscriptions are part of the original text. Like that's, that's Bible. Uh, and then we start with verse one. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. You've probably heard this before. Uh, he will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time and forevermore. A beautiful, beautiful psalm. Uh, and it actually reminds me of my friends, uh, Keith and Nina. Uh, Keith and Nina are members of our Sunday school and um, they posted some references to this psalm uh, late last week. And I would ask you to be in prayer for that family. Uh, they have sent, uh, many of you know that Nina's had a tremendous number of health issues. Uh, they have sent her home uh, to be in hospice. And uh, they are waiting. And this is my prayer for them, that they remember, that their help, that they lift up their eyes to the hills, to remember where their help comes from. Their help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth.
and he will not let Nina's foot be moved. He will keep her from slumber. He is the one who keeps Israel. He neither slumbers nor sleeps. And the Lord is your keeper. It is a beautiful, beautiful song. And it applies in a beautiful number of ways. He is our shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. And that is a beautiful word from the Lord. It is a beautiful reminder that for the New Testament believer, Jesus is with us in this life. And for the New Testament believer, we are with Jesus after this life. So in any place we go, our union with Christ is secure. And no one, and no thing can change that. Not even cancer. And, and I look forward to the day when uh, God makes all things new in a world where there is no more cancer, there is no more dementia, there is no more pain, where we are free. And Nina, you get a head start on us. And uh, we'll see you soon. So I won't um, go through and read all of the Psalms of Ascent, but a, a good homework assignment for us this week would be to read through Psalm 120 through 134 from Jesus' perspective. And to read through Psalm 120 to 134 from the disciples' perspective. And I'll give you two perspectives from the disciples. One perspective from the disciples would be walking to Jerusalem with Jesus before they really knew that they knew that they knew. And then one perspective would be the next year's Passover. Walking to Jerusalem when they knew that they knew that they knew. And then filtering all these things through the lens of the truth of the reality of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This would have been unbelievable, right? These disciples who fled when times got hard would then be reminded again that their help comes from the Lord. That he is steadfast and sure even when they were not. And this is, this is just, it's, it's overwhelming to me to think through the patience and the love and the beauty and the majesty and the grace of our Jesus who was enduring this and knowing exactly what he would go through. Um, but this is where we are. So I want to go backward for just a half step and talk just a bit more about Mark's structure before we jump into Mark. Uh, chapter 11, verse 1. So uh, one of the things that we think, and, I, and I'm going to like smaller font in italics, we think uh, is true about Mark's gospel, is that it is not 100% linear. Mark 
sometimes, again, we think, rearranges the order of things. He might have done that with Mark 11 through 16. Because if you believe that Mark 11 marks the uh, Passover entry into Jerusalem, then what you have to believe chronologically is, if you believe that Mark did everything in order, is that Mark 11 to Mark 16 was a week. And it might be. Like, that is, that is very much a possibility. But I will leave room for people to say, yeah, some of these things might have happened earlier before they got to Jerusalem. Some of these things might have been earlier trips to Jerusalem. Remember, because this wasn't Jesus' first time to Jerusalem. He'd been going to Jerusalem every single year, right? Likely multiple times a year. He was a, he was a good, observant Jew. This is what you did. Um, now, And I, I want to contrast the way Mark has structured his gospel with the way Luke introduces his. So flip over to Luke chapter 1. I know I'm bouncing a lot here today, but there's several things I want us to, to understand because there are, there are people who, who look at the apparent uh, non-chronological order of Mark and say, well, that's, that's errors in the Bible. And we would say, no. <laughs> no, we would not. So let's look at the first couple of verses in uh, Luke chapter 1. So this is Luke and kind of his introduction to Theophilus. Uh, this is the person he was writing the Gospel of Luke to, uh, which I think how cool that would have been to be Theophilus, to be the person that like you got the, the, the Gospel. It's pretty cool. So this is what he says. So inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also having followed all things closely for some time past. So Luke is he's looking back on what has happened. He's not writing this real time. It followed all things closely for some time past to write an, here's the word, orderly account. Now, the Greek word for orderly here means in order. It, it doesn't mean it's uh, structured in a way that's nice. It doesn't mean everything is uh, arranged. It means like, Literally, you've put something in order. So an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. So Theophilus knew some stuff. He'd been taught some stuff. And Luke's going to come in and be like, okay, I'm filling in the gaps. And I'm going to give you the start, soup to nuts, start to finish, all the way through the details, and I'm going to do it in order. And quite frankly, Luke's gospel is the only one that makes this, this declaration about ordering. So I will say uh, that's a distinction, right? And the Holy Spirit told Luke, told Luke to write that, and Luke wrote it down obediently, and that was good. So if the Holy Spirit draws this out as a distinction, I'm going to leave room that some of the other Gospels, specifically where it really looks like Mark may not be totally in order, um, might not be totally written in order, and I'm totally okay with that. Um, the, the, the writing process thousands of years ago was different than it is today. Today, we want 14 videos of the event or it didn't happen, right? We need an audio recording or it didn't happen. Uh, 
And remember, who is Mark talking to that he is writing down what has happened? He's talking to Peter. Peter's, I mean, <clears throat> I, I'm not a doctor. I can't diagnose him, but he sure looks like he's got ADHD to me. And if you've ever had a conversation with somebody who has ADHD, they don't always put everything in the exact order, right? They jump around a little bit. So I'm going to, get, I'm going to leave room for Peter to be Peter and jump around a little bit as Mark is uh, documenting these things. All right, so enough about structure. Let's jump into Mark uh, chapter 11, verse 1. So here we go. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, uh, to Bethphage, which is a weird word to say, uh, to Bethphage and Bethany. And we see Bethany show up later on in Mark chapter 14. This is where the woman uh, breaks open the jar of ointment and uh, anoints Jesus' feet and then wipes it with her. I mean, it's just this spectacularly beautiful story. I can't wait to get to 14. We'll be in 14 for like five months. It's really long. Uh, Lord willing. <laughs> uh, to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, uh, we see the Mount of Olives a couple different times in Mark's Gospel. Uh, Chandelier, hey Chandelier, I saw you comment you're here this morning. Thanks for being here. Uh, is going to help us out with some geography of this particular region. I've asked her to kind of talk to uh, where they were and what they would, they being Jesus and his disciples, where they were and what they would have been looking at when Jesus made certain statements. And if you're sitting in a certain spot, looking in a certain direction, saying specific words that talk about the geography, we might want to be aware of the geography. So Chandelier's actually been to these places. I've just read about them. I've got like tons of books, tons of books that describe these things to me, but I've actually not been there. So we'll, we'll hear from her. Uh, so to the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent. So this is uh, Apostello. Um, uh, this is the, the idea of sending one out. Uh, it's very similar to our, our Greek word, uh, uh, apostelos, which is the noun form. Apostello is the verb form. And back in Mark 3.14, we see where the apostles are apostled. They are sent out. Uh, and that is my pie reference for the day. Happy pie day. So Jesus sent two of his disciples. We don't know which two. Uh, some of the commentators throw a lot of shade at Mark here for not saying which two. If we needed to know which two, we'd have been told which two. We didn't so we don't. There's that. So Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, I want you to count the imperatives. Go. This is the present active imperative. So keep going until this, uh, until this happens. Uh, go into the village in front of you, which is a, it's a really awkward English translation because it like literally translated, it means go into the village that's directly opposite you, which if you say that, you're kind of like, well, that's the one in front of you, right? Yes. So this is a, a really good example of where the ESV takes what would have been a really awkward literal translation and turns it into something that makes a lot of sense for English speakers. And I say, I'm grateful for that. That's really good. Now, I want you to notice uh, a couple of words here. So the Mount of Olives shows up again in Mark's Gospel in Mark 13, 3. And this, this word, katananti, uh, 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 in front of or directly opposite you also shows up in 13.3. So there's some similarity in language geographically here and geographically there, which to me gives me a heads up that, hey, you know, geography is going to be important here. So go into the village in front of you and immediately as you enter uh, it, you will find, here is go. This is the idea of 
uh, searching for and finding things. Uh, we get our English word heuristics uh, from this Greek word. Uh, you'll find a cult. Tied. Uh, it, so this is where it starts to get cool. All right, you ready? So you'll find a cult tied. Now, some of you have asked me questions like, what's up with this cult? Like, why, what's the big deal about the cult? All right, this is neat. We probably won't get past the cult today. So we'll just, this is how much fun we're going to have with this cult. Uh, so the cult. So let's flip over to Zechariah 9.9. 9. Zechariah 9.9. 9. And I will tell you that in this copy of God's Word, uh, I don't have everything worn out. This is a rather new copy. So if you need to go to the index and look up Zechariah, have at it. The easier way to find Zechariah is to find Matthew and go left and then go left again uh, because Zechariah is right before Malachi. So Zechariah 9, nine. so Zechariah is a prophet. Again, prophets are people who say things that are going to come true sometime in the future. Prophets didn't know all the details about what they were going to uh, what they were saying and when it would come true. Sometimes it was very immediate. Sometimes it was kind of intermediate within a few years. And then sometimes it's thousands of years later. But God's word is true and it will come to pass. So Zechariah 9.9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Who would this be? This would be Jesus. Righteous and having salvation is he, humbled, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So what is Jesus doing right here? He's, we, we see a little bit and then we put it back, right? Just Just a hint of a, there was a cult mentioned in the Old Testament, right? There's actually a cult mentioned farther back in the Old Testament. If we go back to Genesis 49, you're like, Genesis, you cannot pull this from Genesis. Oh, watch me. Genesis 49. So this is uh, Jacob. Uh, the context here is he has gathered his sons together and he's going to pronounce uh, blessings and statements about them and about their families and about their futures. And in verse 8, he starts talking to Judah. If you know the, the, some of the titles for Jesus, he is the lion of the tribe of Judah. So this is the, this is the, for, the uh, ancestor of Jesus Christ, uh, Jacob through Judah. Your so verse 8, Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son shall bow down to you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched, he crouched as a lion and as a lioness. Who dares rouse him? The scepter, scepter of the, the symbol of this ruling thing, shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. You ready? Binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's coat to the choice vine. He has washed his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. Mentions of the cult in Genesis. 
So when we see Jesus do things that we look at and we go, what in the world is that about? I would posit to us that the majority of the time he does stuff like that to us, to 21st century English speaking Americans, it has something to do with prophecy and this one does. So Jessica, you were spot on. Your spidey sense went up. That's exactly right. So, all right. So you'll find a cult tied on which no one has ever sat. And you're like, okay, what does that have to do with anything? Go to numbers. I love this stuff. Some of you are like, why are we flipping around the Bible so much? Because Jesus is laying out the proof of who he is. This is how we know that he goes through and he checks this box and this box and this box and this box and this box. And every single box gets checked saying he's the Messiah. He's the Messiah. He's the Messiah. He's the Messiah. Because this is critically important to us. So Numbers chapter 19, laws for purification. <laughs> Now, the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, This is the statute of the law that the Lord has commanded. Tell the people of Israel to bring you a red heifer without defect, in which there is no blemish. You're like, okay. <clears throat> so there's a, a red cow, and there's nothing wrong with it. And then the last phrase, on which a yoke has never come. Oh, okay. So it actually hasn't been used yet for its intended purpose, which was to pull something. And what's happened here, yeah, it's exactly right, Albert. It's almost like the Bible is about him. That's exactly right. <laughs> uh, so what happens here is the Jews look at this and they go, there must be something special about an animal that's never been sat on. So I'm gonna remind us of something that we talked about several months ago. The Jews had this habit of in, in the Old Testament, as well as specifically in Jesus' time, of taking, and I'm going to show you a picture, of taking the Old Testament itself and then adding to that the Apocrypha, these questionable books, and adding to that the Pseudepigrapha, these really dubious books that talked about things in the Old Testament time. And then adding to that the Mishnah, the Gemara, and the Talmud, which are, uh, and I'm, gonna, I'm painting with a very, very broad brush right now, but these are uh, ways to interpret and apply the Old Testament, the Apocrypha, and the Pseudepigrapha, along with a tremendous amount of commentary. So the idea here is that the Jews took what God gave them, added, added, added. And some of these works, I've got a copy, this is my copy of the Mishnah. Some of these works are really insightful when it comes to understanding why certain things would be what they are. So this is the Mishnah. Uh, this is the second uh, major, actually it's the fourth major division. This is the chapter on the Sanhedrin. Uh, chapter two inside the ch Sanhedrin, uh, verse five. It's not really a verse, it's more like a subheading. Um, so we're talking about the king here, right? This is, uh, this is sections that's talking about the high priest and how the high priest engages with the king. And then we get to kind of this fifth subsection, 
This is talking about the king. It says, None may ride on his horse, and none may sit on his throne, and none may make use of his scepter. You're like, what's that got to do with anything? All right. Kings had stuff that nobody else used. So, culturally speaking, to the religious elite, Jesus calling for a cult that had never been sat on was not only a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, it was in alignment with first century Judaism commentary and belief about what kings did. So you tell me my Jesus isn't an unbelievably amazing communicator with telling two of his disciples to go get a cult. <laughs> I love it. On which no one had ever sat. It's beautiful. All right, let's keep going for just a second. I think we can get, I think we can get a few more. Yeah, I think we can. All right. So first thing he says was go. Second imperative is untie. So there's another imperative. So untie it and bring it. That's the third imperative. So go, untie, bring. And if anyone says to you, if there's a possibility of this, why are you doing this? Say, that's the fourth imperative. So he gives them four different imperatives. Say, the Lord has need of it. Now, we can go too far with this particular word, Lord, if it wasn't for Jesus in this context. Because this word Lord is used in a lot of different ways. It's, it could be used as a formal way to say sir or master. It doesn't mean uh, unanimously in the New Testament, the Lord God Almighty. It has a lot of different uses. Uh, the Lord has need of it and will send it back. He will apostello it. <laughs> Jesus sends all kinds of things. It's wonderful, including the Holy Spirit. Uh, and we'll send it back here immediately. And so well, verse 4, we'll read through this section of obedience. It's a beautiful section. And they went away, obedience, and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street. And they untied it, obedience. And some there standing there said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what the Lord Jesus had said, obedience. And they let them go. Verse 7, and they brought the cult to Jesus. Obedience. This is what obedience looks like. Whether you understand Genesis 49, Zechariah 9, the Mishnah, the theory, the law, the practice, the application, the head nod to the scribes and the Pharisees and the priests and their religious elite or not, when Jesus gives us a command we are to obey because he is the king, because he is the Messiah, because he is our Lord and Savior. That's what we do. So we'll stop there on the word Jesus. Uh, they brought the cult to Jesus. And we'll talk next week about all these crazy things that they did with their clothes and with these tree branches and the leaves and like what in the world is going on with that? So much more to come. So let's move into a time of prayer. Uh, so if you have any prayer requests, please write those in the comments here so that we can continue to pray for those. Uh, I would encourage you to pray for somebody not with you. Specifically this morning, I would ask you all to be in prayer for Keith and Nina Gilchrist uh, that, uh, that 
they would be faithful, that uh, they, that Nina finishes the, the course and runs the race well as she has so far. What a testimony, what a blessing, what a ministry. Uh, I, I can promise you I have learned much from, walk, from watching her walk. Um, so please be in prayer there. And then don't forget, don't forget to go worship this one, this one who knows all, sees all, is in command of all, and is able to fulfill Scripture because you're exactly right, Albert. It's all about Him. So... Until I see you again, grace and peace to you. I miss you guys. I'm praying for you every single day. I look forward to seeing you hopefully soon. Uh, just a, a quick heads up. Uh, my son and I, we got our first uh, vaccine shot last week, so we're excited about that. Uh, excited about watching the new uh, updates come out of the CDC and when we can rejoin and safely get together again. And uh, I'm, I'm hopeful that it's sooner rather than later. Uh, tomorrow marks the one-year anniversary of our teaching Sunday school remotely, uh, and I am more than hopeful that it, we will not be anywhere near a year away from being back together all together again uh, so that we can see and do and be uh, together as we have been commanded by our King. So love you guys, and I'm praying for you, and Lord willing, I'll see you next week. Thanks. Thanks for engaging, and don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, YouTube channel, and weekly email. You can subscribe to all three of those at OurSundaySchool.com. Grace and peace to you.